Recording live from an undisclosed location, we present to you the Locker Room Guys podcast. Here's your hosts, Lee Schechter and Doug Moore. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Locker Room Guys uh, we are recording here on September 20th. Uh, we are in week three of the 2017 NFL season, or as we're calling it, the year that the Patriots win their sixth Super Bowl. Uh, my name is Doug Moore, um, and as always, I'm joined by my partner, uh, Lee Schechter. We are the locker room guys, and we're going to be talking about week two, and we're going to also be talking about week three as well. But uh, Lee, let's let's start off with with week two. Let's get right into it. Um, obviously, after coming off of week one's surprising loss to the Kansas State Chiefs, uh, the Patriots come back in a big way and they beat the Saints. I believe it was thirty six to twenty, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they really put on an offensive showing, especially in the first half. But you know, just a terrific game overall. Tom Brady actually won Offensive Player of the Week for the AFC with over four hundred and forty yards and I think it was three touchdowns. So really good game from him. And then there were some other standout performances from Rob Gronkowski, from I think Chris Hogan had a pretty good game himself. Mike Gillis, they got another touchdown. James White had a good game as well. So a much better showing than what we saw in week one. But there were some concerns, I think, and obviously a lot of concerns coming into week three. Lee, I want to get your take. We saw the injury report today, and I found quite interesting is that Four out of the five wide receivers, including Matt Slater, uh, that would be Chris Hogan, Danny Amendola, which, again, could be a good sign because he didn't practice all last week. Philip Dorsett and Matt Slater all were on the injury report today, leaving Brandon Cooks as the lone guy for their wide receiver core that was not on the injury report. And that's also including Rob Gronkowski, who also suffered a groin injury. He did not practice today. Uh, along with other offensive player, Marcus Cannon, but we can talk about that later if we have time. Uh, what's your take on this? You know, the Patriots have dealt with, it seems like, injuries galore, only second to the Ravens in regards to impactful injuries. Are, are you worried? You know, what, what is your take? You know, how are the Patriots going to go forward with this? Well, even as we said last week, the doctors ordered for the Patriots to play the Saints and to build up all this confidence. And what's pretty amazing in general, before I even jump into all these injuries, is that Tom Brady just won Offensive Player of the Week, throwing for over 400 yards against, yes, a terrible, terrible, terrible defense, but he did it with a bunch of guys who got hurt throughout the game. And by the end of this game, as you were saying beforehand, Brandon Cooks is the only guy who's actually fully healthy right now, which is a little bit scary, but at the same time, we've seen Tom Brady do a whole lot with even a whole lot less. With the injury report, I think it was great to see that a lot of these guys were limited participants. In fact, all of them were, except for Gronk, who sat out. Hogan told everyone he was fine after the game, after a bit of a scare with his knee. He was limping all over the place. We all know how tough he is. He's kind of like Edelman with his toughness. I'm not too worried about him. He still contributed even with uh, that gimp in his step. Dorsett's the one that I'm really watching the most. I don't know how serious Dorsett's injury could be. Uh, maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's more. Because he started to really come on, and I kind of think he could be a solid part of this offense. One of 
my favorite plays of the game against the Saints was actually using Dorsett on, in motion. They brought him into the backfield, and then they motioned him back out, faked a screen to him, and all of the defense bit. And Hogan took off on the post route and got close to 30 yards, I think, on, on that play. And that's what Dorsett can bring is his speed. And the Patriots are now finding ways to use him in ways that the Colts couldn't, which the Colts would just send him on go routes because that's all the Colts can freaking do out there. And Dorsett has so much versatility as a player out of the backfield and everywhere else. So I like seeing that. So I'm not super concerned currently because I think Amendola will be back. Hogan's going to be fine. I think the Brandon Cooks chemistry is going to build up. But the two guys that I am concerned about are Gronk, obviously. And I think that the Dorsett situation is one to be monitored, and I'm a bit concerned there. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I didn't mention, too, and I don't know if it's noteworthy, uh, Rex Burkhead was also, you throw him in there with that offensive playmaker sort of group. Um, He did not practice as well. He went out in the beginning, I think towards the the halftime, of uh of last game and didn't play for the rest of the game he sat out today with a ribs injury we're recording here like i said on wednesday the 20th uh, but he did sit out along with rob gronkowski and marcus cannons all three of the do not per- or did not participate guys were on offense yeah it, it's it's a situation where they had to throw a guy like dorsett in there who i think is still learning this playbook where he wasn't asked to do nearly as much i think with the Colts where he would just run, like you said, a bunch of go routes and hopefully stress the defense a little bit, make a play or two. He, he did look pretty good, I will admit. We haven't seen any plays that warrant us saying he made a bad play or he, you know, boneheaded mistake or, or this is why, you know, he, he shouldn't have been a first-round pick. So that's a good thing to see, and I think he'll only get better as uh, the season progresses and he learns the playbook and, and builds – more of a rapport with Brady, which he, he might have been thrown into a little bit more than than you know needed in an ideal situation. But Chris Hogan, he should play. Dorsett, I would imagine, is playing. Amendola looks like he's on track to play after returning to practice. Uh, so they could have some guys back, but it seems like it's a little bit of a damaged good situation. Uh, I didn't ask you this, but just based off of just one day of not practicing and his history – do you think there's a chance that Gronk plays this weekend? Given his history, I would uh, err on the side of caution with him. I would expect him to not play. I don't think it has to do with whether he's healthy enough. If he's healthy enough, I don't even know if he will necessarily play this weekend. You want Gronk to be as healthy as possible. Thank goodness it wasn't as back as Tony Romo had feared. But even with a groin injury, even if it's something minor, groins can be very troublesome. We saw that with Danny Amendola in the past where – he had a groin injury. It ended up being a tear. He rushed a little bit. It nagged him a lot. Groin injuries can be very sensitive. I would say that given his in- given Gronk's injury history too, I'd say as of Wednesday right now, I wouldn't expect him to play. But I think Friday is the you know obviously the the telling signs of it. Yeah, and obviously we've seen it with Gronk in the past. Soft tissue issues like last season with the hamstring injury. He played I think starting week three. But really, he was limited. Um, you know, he couldn't do much. I, I, I'm, I think Gronk is in that situation where he can play through a lot, but he's also a pretty slow healer when it comes to that as well. Who knows if he was being held out today because of his own health and not being able to practice, or if the team decided to keep out. Because on Saturday, on Sunday, we saw him come out of the tent, uh, the medical tent. He was on the stationary. He was on the sideline. Didn't have his helmet or anything. But he looked like a guy who was ready to go back in, I think. And I think if the game was close and they actually needed him, 
they would have. So who knows? But then we see this today. So let's let's talk about though. You know, the offense did really well, I think, for the most part. But the defense, I still, even though they only give up twenty points, and and you know they only give up thirteen points in the half, uh, first half before it was sort of a, a garbage time, you know, run the clock out situation. In the second half, they still gave up twenty points. They gave up forty-two to the Chiefs. So that's an, over an average of 30 a game right now. And granted, these are two teams that, uh, you know, one of them, the Chiefs being sort of a team that we didn't expect to be an offensive juggernaut, which they have been so far. And then the, the Saints, who have always been relied on to be sort of that a team that puts up a lot of points. But there's just some things about this defense that concern me. Considering last season they were the top scoring defense in the league, actually, which doesn't necessarily say a whole lot about whether or not they're the best defense in the league. But still, I think it's a little bit of a concern for me, at least, from watching them. Um, and we'll talk about one guy in particular. I think someone actually requested you to talk about this, um, Stefan Gilmore. And we'll talk about the entire secondary, really, in general. But Stefan Gilmore, we'll mention, he popped up on the injury reports. I believe he had a groin injury is what they're saying, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So we're talking about those soft tissue injuries. But talking about Gilmore a little bit, What's your take on him so far in regards to his first two games as a Patriots player? So I think Stephon Gilmore was getting a bad rep, especially after that Chiefs game. We wanted to blame him for a couple of blown coverages, which I really think were on the safeties, especially after rewatching. I, I believe one of them was uh, Devin McCourty. Uh, just totally blew his coverage. That was the Tyreek Hill touchdown. Yep. Um, on the Kareem Hunt one, that was Cassius Marsh, so that didn't really have a lot to do with Gilmore. But I think we put him under a microscope, especially because of the contract situation with Butler. Obviously, Butler was a, a fan favorite, and then they throw all this money at Gilmore. Gilmore wasn't bad for the Bills, but he was underwhelming, especially at times, thrown under a microscope there, especially struggled against Patriots players, but who doesn't when you play for the Buffalo Bills? So I, I, I think that this is – almost a Nate Solder situation, if I'm going to compare it to something that people might relate to. Nate Solder isn't having a great year so far this year, but he's been such a reliable guy. Because you play the left tackle position, anytime a guy beats you, whether it's once or twice a game or once or twice every couple weeks, when it happens, you get ridiculed and degraded. And I think that happens with Gilmore a bit too. I haven't really seen a lot from him that really discourages me. Has he looked incredible yet? No, but he's a new guy on a team who went up against what I believe are two very good offenses. Chiefs are a great offense and Saints are a great offense. I think you're going to see him maybe gain some confidence against the Texans as we can probably discuss a little bit more. But I haven't seen enough from Gilmore to be overly concerned as I'm hearing from some fans. They, they are really concerned about Gilmore, but I don't think it's there yet. No, I think when you look at the entire secondary, I would say that he's one of the, the lesser concerns. Totally agree in regards to how, as a unit, they've been when you grade them together and individually. Uh, the other guy I will mention um, that I think has done pretty well, at least he hasn't given up a lot of plays, is uh, Jerron Harmon. We haven't yeah. seen him a lot uh, in regards to giving up big plays, blown coverages. So I'll mention that, but there are some players that have really have struggled so far. When I, when I mention that, I'll mention two in particular, and these are the two guys that – you probably wouldn't expect these are the guys you rely on to be, you know, sort of players that will always be able to make plays and, and play well. That's Devin McCourty, who again is playing the hurt a little bit. So that could be a contributing factor. And then my other one is Malcolm Butler. 
Yep. Malcolm Butler, I, I'm not sure what's going on. He actually did not start on Sunday. His real playing time came in when Eric Rowe went down with his injury, which, again, could be pointed a little bit to a matchup-based uh, defensive scheme because he went up against two, I think, two of the taller receivers in the league with Brandon Coleman being 6'6", and Michael Thomas, who is 6'3". I think it's a is if, pretty tall. If um, really Sneed was in, though, would Butler have been in there? I mean, that's the yeah, question. Yeah, I think so. I think Malcolm Butler, because I, I, I don't think Willie Sneed plays much of an outside role. I think he's that. I think he's a slot guy for, for the team. And, and granted, the thing with the Patriots is that there's really no number one corner that hasn't been for a long time. As opposed, you know, we can say on based on talent, but based off their their scheme, and they don't have a guy shadowing or anything like that. And they'll follow them into the slot. They won't stick on one side like Richard Sherman. They don't shadow like a Patrick Peterson. So it was just interesting to see. But still, Malcolm Butler has not had a good start to the season. Even in the preseason, he didn't look that good. He didn't at all. I was concerned then. We had a discussion about it. But and I'm sure we're going to – if we haven't already, we're going to hear talk about is he checked out when it comes to playing for the Patriots? Is he mentally checked out because he and – Almost everybody who everybody who knows what's going on probably already knows he's not going to be back with the team next season unless something crazy happens. The um, trade talk will keep heating up. I mean, this is like a Chandler Jones situation. But, too. I'll be honest. I talked with a coworker the other day about this. This might be the worst time about trade talks because totally. Malcolm he's Butler so far. <laughs> he hasn't done well so far, and and the other thing too is he's in a contract year where we just saw cornerbacks like A.J. Boye, Stephen Gilmore, get ridiculous money, and the salary cap keeps going up every year. And the Patriots certainly aren't going to, I don't think at least, are not going to commit that type of money to both Gilmore and Butler when they're used to their, you know, finding the bargain bin type of guys, rarely spending big money out of out of the organization. I just don't see him being with the team next year. But this would be the worst time for him to be traded. I think, if anything, we're going to look more towards the trade deadline. There's a team, and hopefully Butler's doing better by then, where a team is going to say, we're one piece away from being a, a real playoff contender. And they look at a guy like Butler, can we afford, you know, is it the is the risk worth it to to give a half-season rental? Because the Patriots, one way or another, are going to get a third-round pick, at least for him. Whether it's a compensatory pick or they trade it. So, the Patriots don't really have a lot to lose unless they get a major trade offer, but just Butler in general has not done well so far, which is very surprising because ever since he took on that big role when Terrell Rebus left, Brandon Browner left, he's been the guy. He's been that guy. And it was just weird seeing him benched. I don't know if you want to call him bench. I don't know. It's just, even if he doesn't grab the start, he should be in there. And he wasn't. And I don't know if it was a matchups thing, which, again, I think has a, definitely a part to play. But I wonder if there's more to it than that. Is he playing hurt? And he's not on the injury report. Is he checked out mentally? I don't know. Or is he just struggling? Is, is it just a talent thing? Has he had tough matchups? So it, it's just interesting to see. I think we're going to see him more this weekend. I don't think you're going to – especially with how the Patriots have done in the past – defending Texans wide receivers, especially DeAndre Hopkins. The one big thing, though, is Logan Ryan has usually been on him the past couple seasons. 
So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think Malcolm Butler is going to step in and try and be that guy for them. And you're going to see Gilmore sort of uh, work his way around, whether it's um, – I, I don't even know who, who else, but maybe – Maybe it's a Braxton Miller or is Will Fuller is out with a broken collar. Will Fuller's out and Strong is now gone with the Strong uh, is with the Jaguars. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see, but Definitely. this would be a good opportunity for the secondary to really get back into it. The, the Texans, and we'll go into this. I totally – I'm going to jump in quickly, Doug, because I think we can sum it up nicely. You and I are in a lot of agreement. Malcolm Butler, the cause for concern, is probably around a medium right now. We want to see a little more. Could have been matchup-related. With Gilmore, it's low right now. We haven't seen a lot that we dislike. With Devin McCourty, it's a little above low. We obviously assume McCourty will be pretty good. So I'd say it's like medium low with McCourty, the concern level right now. And a guy I want to praise a little bit who could be a guy for the future can replace Malcolm Butler, obviously, is Jonathan Jones. He's actually pretty good whenever he's been out there on defense. He's been really good. The guy just does everything that you want. He reminds me a little bit of a Malcolm Butler when he first was starting to emerge. I'm not saying he plays like him or anything, no. but he just he's out there fighting and hustling and making plays, and, and that's what this page defense is about, and that's what Belichick likes, and he'd be a cheap option, especially going forward. So Yeah, and, and like you mentioned, he, he, he's done everything that's been asked. He's taken more of a role on defense. He, I think he gave up a pretty big, I think like a 40-yard play, but he also had two – this was like in garbage time, but he had two – I thought terrific pass block, uh, pass breakups on Sunday, but yeah, he's just really stepped up, and it's it's just funny how the Patriots sort of find these guys. He would be a guy I'd mention as a standout. I, I do want to talk a little. I want to talk about the Texans matchup, but I can't go without talking about probably the best part of this defense, and that's talking about another undrafted guy who's a part of this, uh, an undrafted guy who's really helps light a fire under what the Patriots were missing a lot of last season. Their pass rush has probably been the best part of their game. Their defensive ends have been probably the best part of this defense with Trey Flowers stepping up as everybody expected them to. Dietrich Wise has been a force. He's a fourth-round pick out of Arkansas, like Trey Flowers, only a year la- uh, or two years before. It, it's I don't know what it – maybe Arkansas is the new uh, Rutgers. Or Alabama, who knows? But um, those two guys really stepped up. And Adam Butler, the undrafted free is not a Vanderbilt. What a force he's been! Uh, really, he's he's every time I see him on the field, he's making a play, or he's he's getting pressure on the quarterback, and he's sort of been that versatile defensive tackle, defensive end, especially with Hightower dealing with that injury. He sort of stepped into more of a pass rushing role, but he he's been something. Those three guys, at least for me, along that defensive line have really been the guys that have stood out for me. I don't have the stats in front of me, but they, they have some pretty impressive numbers, uh, each of them and combined, over the first two games of the season. And uh, we'll talk about this a little bit, but they have a cakewalk, a terrific matchup this week against the Texans. But anything to say, Lee, about those three guys or maybe anybody else I'm missing along the defensive line or even the front seven? I think you hit most of the guys perfectly. Uh, we all had concerns that – this set of pass rushers was going to be atrocious and we'd be in for a long season because obviously once Coney Ealy was gone and realized that wasn't working out. Uh, and then uh, obviously the injury to Rivers, who we all thought was going to be the guy, to see Wise step up and look really good and better than Rivers even looked when he was playing in the preseason. It, it's not that it's coming out of nowhere, but uh, Dietrich Wise, you know, he had what, another sack, 
tackle for losses. I think he had like five quarterback hurries or, or pressures. I mean, they're influencing the game so much, he and Trey Flowers. And the fact that Wise is a presence allows you to move Trey Flowers around even more and mess with these opposing offensive lines, it just adds so much more to it. And then we were discussing before uh, we even started recording about Adam Butler, how some people say, oh, he's like Anthony Johnson, who if people remember, he was that undrafted free agent who was incredible in the preseason and then he just fizzled out. Well, Adam Butler is way better than Johnson. He's an interior pass rusher who actually plays and makes plays in bigger games on the bigger stage against high-level NFL caliber talent, and that's more impressive than anything. So when you have all three of those guys working, you can move them around with Flowers' versatility. This group has honestly become the strongest part of the defense, and I thought it was going to be the secondary all along. So and, and I don't want to know. and I don't want to forget about him. But Cassius Marsh also made a, a couple plays over the weekend as well. Um, Lawrence Guy, I, I don't think there's ever there's been an issue with him either. You know, obviously they gave up a lot of rushing yards week one. They did really well against the run this past weekend. I would say easily this this defensive line or this you know defensive tackle and defensive end group is, is probably the best part of this defense. And and like I said, they have a, a terrific matchup. We'll get into week three now. They're going up against the Patriots of the AFC South, as you might call it, whatever the case is. And I promised I was not going to go into any Patriots relations, but you and I were talking about this beforehand. There's a lot of them. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Uh, but you know they, they have a matchup this week against this defense where I think they can really get back in tune, you know, really have a game that really amps up their confidence a little bit because this 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 Texans offense, I, I don't know, there's not a lot to like right now. I mean, granted, yes, you have a rookie quarterback in there with Deshaun Watson who's looked up and down. He hasn't looked that bad, especially considering he's a Bill O'Brien rookie first-round quarterback, which Bill O'Brien is just not very good with quarterbacks after being called a quarterback whisperer, I guess. I just found that out that earlier this week. It, it's just interesting. You know, they have Deshaun Watson, a rookie, in there. But this offensive line, and you and I talked about this, it's atrocious. They stink. They're it, bad. They stink. Part of the reason is because their left tackle, Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Brown, is hold is holding uh, holding out right now. He is not playing, and they have some random guy in there. They He's have no some savior, though. They, they do have some bright spots, but they just haven't played as well as they did last year. And I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm actually going to look this up just because I'm I'm curious. But this it, it doesn't help a rookie quarterback if he's getting pressured every play. And you have a team like the Patriots who has their defensive line playing really well right now. And they're going to come in. I think that this is going to dial up a little bit. I think Matt Patricia is going to go after this. He's going to try and amp up how many players they have rushing the quarterback. They're going to put pressure on Watson, force him to make the throws he needs to make. If he does, I don't know. But as we spoke about as well, we don't even know who's on that team for for playmakers other than you know DeAndre Hopkins. C.J. Fedorowicz is on the IR. Ryan Griffin may come back this weekend. Their second-best wide receiver has a broken collarbone. Their number three was released. Their number four is a struggling slot corner trying to – slot wide receiver trying to, to learn the position. This is a this is a terrific tune-up matchup for the Patriots, I think. I don't expect much out of the Texans' offense. Um, is there is there something I'm missing? I know I, I love Deontay Foreman, but is there anything I'm missing here? Is there some hidden gem on this this Texans' offense that the Patriots should actually be concerned about? 
first off, I love Deontay Foreman. It's just not as, uh, it's not the time or the place for him yet. But no, there's no secret guy. There's all those people who still think Lamar Miller is a great every down back. And I don't want to harp on stuff like this, but there's a reason why the Miami Dolphins only gave him the ball 15 times a game. He's not a workhorse. Texans have tried to build him into a workhorse and that O-line stinks. And Lamar Miller hasn't been able to do it. They don't have any wide receivers other than DeAndre Hopkins. He can't do it all alone, even though he is probably one of the most gifted receivers in the league. Uh, The hands that he has, just speed, everything that he has is incredible. There's nothing that this offense has that can do anything to take over this game. And, you know, if we thought the same thing about the Chiefs going in, that wasn't the case. The Chiefs had Tyreek Hill. They had uh, Travis Kelsey. And, you know, Kareem Hunt was on par with Spencer Ware. Texans don't have anybody to replace all these guys who are hurt or they release or they don't still, they've never really had tight ends and Fedorowicz is done and now they still don't have tight ends. And on top of it all, rookie quarterbacks stink against the Patriots. Uh, I believe that they are 0-8 against the Patriots uh, in, the, in the Belichick era. They've thrown, I'm, I'm throwing some stats out. We need, a, we need a, a fact checker on this, but I'm pretty sure it's like five touchdowns to about 14 interceptions is what I saw earlier today it's wild how bad rookie quarterbacks are and I hate to do this to Deshaun Watson because I want him to succeed I don't think he's that great of a quarterback I think his footwork is terrible I kind of see a little bit of RG3 in his play I don't want to harp on it or anything but I wish him the best but I think he's in for a rough day especially because that O-line is bad and it's it's gonna hurt him a bit and I'll just point out so I I do have a stat I do have a stat there are two teams in the NFL right now that have given up 10 or more sacks to their quarterbacks this season. They're actually both teams that have rookie quarterbacks in there. The second leading team is the Cleveland Browns with 10 sacks. And the first team with an astounding 13 sacks given up in two games is the Houston Texans. Because the Saxonville Jaguars. Saxonville. That is almost seven a game. That is six and a half sacks a game. You bring in a team that's on a high rise, like the, the Patriots with their defensive line, it's going to be a hard, hard day for the for the Texans. But we're, we're harping on the Texans' offense a little bit. And, and granted, there's not much to like about it, but there are probably people that are getting a little offended. Let's talk about the only good part of this team, which is their, oh, defense. their defense. They have yeah, taken yeah, no, It's surprising. There's something good about it. But uh, no, no, no. They, to their credit, they had the – I would say arguably the best defense in the league last season. They did. Um, and the that was incredible. But that was it without JJ Watt. So Correct. now they have JJ Watt back. They have you get Whitney Marcellus. Whitney Merciless. Jadavian Clowney. Jadavian Clowney last year, I mean, could have been like an MVP caliber player. He dictated so many plays. And I know he didn't pack the statue, but he was incredible. They have an they have an incredible defensive line. So I'm a little I'm a little concerned about this Texans defense, at least their front seven. And the reason I say that is because we, and we brought, I think I did at least, Marcus Cannon did not practice today with a concussion. We don't know when he suffered it. He, I believe he finished the game. Who Concussions, you can never tell when he's going to be back. There's a chance he doesn't play. And then Nate Solder has struggled so far. So you have defensive ends that are really good, like Jadavion Clowney and J.J. Watt, arguably the best duo in the league. And you go up against potentially a struggling left tackle, which, again, how much he's struggling, that's up for debate, but potentially a backup right tackle. So that does concern me a little bit. It does. 
Now, the Patriots have not given up many sacks. I believe they've given up five sacks in the first two games. Not bad. But this, I think, is I think this is the best defense that they played um, so far. The Chiefs are up there. They really are, but they also give up 27 points to the Patriots. So, who knows? But th- their defense does concern me a little bit. I'll be the first to admit, especially with, you know, what's going on offensive tackle right now with Cannon, Cannon probably not playing or possibly not playing and Solder not as a game. I think it's fair to say. So, in, in you know, we like we said, arguably the best defense in the league last season. They have the best player or one of the best defensive players in the game back, even with a dislocated finger, which – Really, really weird or disgusting that I read just to, to go off topic. He suffered a dislocated t- uh, finger in week one. It was an open dislocation. The bone actually went through his skin, and he popped it back in. He's still playing. So kudos to him. Tough guy. What can't he do, JJ? I'd Walker. be crying. Um, yeah, I would be. Oh yeah, I would. I would. Um, I I I couldn't. I couldn't even. You know, tie my own shoes, let alone play football. Probably with that with that set of injury. But any any thoughts? You probably it sounds like you know quite a bit about this defense, or you follow it quite in- intuitively. Any anybody else I'm missing? Because I'm probably missing some. Well, they don't have uh, Bouye anymore, so so that would have been the big guy there. But they still have good secondary that can cover uh, pretty much anyone, especially because that D line is so dominant. Uh, I, I'm not going to call out a ton of specific players. I'm going to hit on just a few points, and I think that you brought up. The first one is obviously, can they protect Brady, and will the injury to, will the concussion situation with Marcus Cannon lead to some other guy stepping in there, which then concerns me quite a bit, because you have Merciless, who's incredibly fast with those speed rushes. You have J.J. Watt, who's J.J. Watt. Then you have Jadavian Clowney, who might not even get to the quarterback, but he's influencing every single play. And the three of those guys on the field is a scary combination, which is why, one, you need Marcus Cannon out there. But two, I think this is a run game special for the Patriots. I think you're going to see them stick to the ground a little bit more than normal because they can attack that pass rush with some nice runs. And when I say run game, I also mean like, you know, swing passes and screens and stuff too. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of bring that all together with the Patriots offense. I think you're going to see a lot more of that. The one other thing I want to bring up is we're throwing stats around a lot in this one. It has been 31 games since the Houston Texans have allowed a 300-yard passer against them. Do you know who that last quarterback was, Doug? The answer is Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles is the last quarterback to throw for 300 yards against the Texans, which means it is really hard to throw against them because that pass rush is coming at you. So I will mention, you said that this, this, this Texans defense, or their secondary, is good. And I think it is when it's at, when it's at full strength. So I will mention that... My guy, Kevin Johnson, who's their number one guy, did not practice today with a knee injury. He's concerning, good. He's really good. Concerning, because I don't know if he plays. I read that he could miss a couple of weeks. The other thing is Jonathan Joseph, their number two corner, was limited today with a shoulder injury. And there was also some questions whether he plays. So this secondary could be potentially banged up against you know the Patriots who – are probably going to try and exploit again uh, this this potentially even if they do play they're going to be less than 100 percent. I think it's a situation where, and I think I mentioned this on another podcast earlier today. A guy like Brandon Cooks who has not really ste- not really been making plays so far. 
I think he's a guy who could have a good game. I think he could go for a touchdown, you know, sort of take a front seat to the other guys who are playing hurt. Um, I think it could be an Amendola and Brandon Cook's day. I think we could see a lot of James White as well. But I, to me, and we'll sort of wrap this up, this to me seems more like a tune-up game than anything on almost all fronts. The Texans offense, I don't believe, is something to be worried about. And their secondary needs sort of a confidence boost to sort of reset themselves. So this could be a good opportunity. I don't think their secondary, if the, those guys do play or don't play, I should say, I don't think it's one to be too concerned about. And I think it could be a game that we see some wide receivers step up. But for me, I just think that this game overall is one that – and, again, the Texans have really struggled under Bill O'Brien against Bill Belichick anyway. Um, I can't – I don't even – I don't think that the Texans have ever – beating the Patriots while Bill O'Brien has been head coach there, uh, which he's been there for quite some time. And they seem to play each other every year. So I, I don't think this is going to be a tough game for them. Again, the, the Texans do present some some challenges, but they're clearly not the best team in the AFC South. That, that title goes to the Tennessee Titans. So, um, no, I'm sorry, the Indianapolis Colts, of course. Um, <laughs> so with that being said, let's wrap this up with our weekly – predictions i will go first wait i have to ask you though okay first prediction does brady do what blake bortles did does he go over 300 yards passing that's a good question because it's not a matter of talent it's a matter of do they need him to go over 300 yards thank you for giving my answer so i'm gonna say no i'm gonna say he goes for 275 and two to three touchdowns. All right, give me your score now, too. Okay, so my score, I don't believe the Patriots are going to go hog wild, but I still think that they get plenty of points. I'm going to say my prediction is 31 to 17. Houston. No, I'm kidding. Patriots. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? You saved yourself right there. Okay, first off on the Brady over under 300 yards, I'm taking the under because I think they're going to see – uh, the run game coming to play a little bit more. And as for my score, I'm going a little bold on this one. By bold, I don't mean I'm picking the Texans to win. I don't think the Patriots are going to score that's a bold that's, that's not a bold pick. That's a dumb pick. <laughs> that is a dumb pick, I guess. I, I am going to go with the Patriots 27, and the Texans will not score a touchdown in this one. Nine. No, no touchdowns. No touchdowns. 27 to 9. Held to three field goals. They can't move the football because Deshaun Watson can't do it against this defense, and they don't have a run game. That's that's certainly a, a lot uh, more of a blow than my game, especially with them not – I'm giving them two touchdowns. You're giving them zero. So that will be something to see. So obviously we will see what happens this weekend, whether or not Lee's prediction comes true where they don't score any touchdowns, whereas I'm a little more generous. I like to be, but the Patriots are back at home after being in New Orleans last week. They will face the Texans at home, which is never going to be an easy thing for any away team, especially a rookie quarterback. So uh, with that being said, I think that wraps it us, uh, wraps it up for us, Lee, doesn't it? I'd say that wraps it up for us. I can do the outro for us. Uh, you can follow us. We are the Locker Room Guys on Twitter at Locker underscore Room Guys. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud. Just search for Locker Room Guys and you'll find us. 
we'll be there. You can also follow me. I'm at Lee Schechter on Twitter. And my main man, Doug, here is at NFL. We'll catch you guys next week as we break down this matchup against the Texans as well as previewing the next matchup in the Patriots' schedule. As always, keep listening. We are the Locker Room Guys.